great. I want to jump right into the Word of God. There's a, there's a gentleman named Jesse Hyman. Has anyone ever heard of Jesse Hyman? Perfect. That's what I was hoping. It's been the same throughout all the services. No one knows him, and that's great. Uh, Jesse Hyman is actually known as the world's greatest extra. Okay, so he's been in one, over 100 television shows. Anything you can think of from Glee to Curb Your Enthusiasm to Law and Order. He's been in over 50 movies, everything from American Pie to Spider-Man. He's literally been in everything. In fact, we have a picture of him. Let me show you what he looks like so you can see this. Let me back up so you can see this. Right. You know this guy, right? You've seen him before. Jesse Hyman. Literally known as the world's greatest extra. He'll literally take any role. He's literally gone into anything. And a lot of times you just see him in the background kind of playing a back role. But what's interesting, I was reading an article that had an interview with Jesse Hyman on the IMDB, which is the Internet Movie Database. And uh, this is what was interesting. They asked him a question. They said, are you bothered by the fact that your, your work doesn't really get credited? Because he's an extra. So he doesn't have like a long listing of all the movies he's been in. And he said, it doesn't really bother me, uh, you know, if my work gets credited or not. You know, I, my stuff is not going to get credited based off the fact that I'm in the background. But this is what he said. He said, it doesn't matter if it's credited or uncredited. People now know who I am. I thought that was interesting. He said, it doesn't matter if people, uh, excuse me, it doesn't matter if it's credited or uncredited. People now know who I am. I feel like what would happen if the church, if we as believers, if we made that a personal mantra and we made a little tweak to it, what if we, we took that, that same line and we kind of adapted it and adopted it for our own lives and said, it doesn't matter if things, if we go credited or uncredited as long as people know who Jesus is. What would happen if we, if we took that approach that it doesn't matter if what we do gets seen or unseen? It doesn't matter if people pat us on the back and say, great job. It, what, what would happen if we took the approach that it was more about Jesus than it was about us getting credit? Let that sink in. I mean, think about this. For, the reality is in the Bible, 12 men changed the entire world by sharing Jesus. They didn't care if people knew their names or not. And a lot of times we, we, we get upset if things don't go our way, if we don't get shouted out or if we don't get tagged on an Instagram picture, we'll get upset and go, how come they're not tagging us? Okay, I was in the picture. Okay, I took the picture. And yet we, we, we live in such a way. And, and, and as I started thinking about this idea of being uncredited and as I started thinking about this idea of being an extra, I started thinking about all the superstars of the Bible. Moses. You got to say his name deep. Moses. Right? Abraham. Isaac. Jacob. Okay, Elijah, Elisha, okay, you have uh, Peter, Paul, Esther, Ruth, Naomi, all these heroes of the faith. And they're amazing, and they play a superstar role, but then I started to take it one step further and think about all the unnamed people of the Bible, people that make a, a great impact, but you don't know their names. Let me give you an example. Pharaoh's daughter, who turns out to be Moses' stepmother, okay? Pharaoh's daughter is literally in denial uh, not in denial, but in the Nile, taking a bath, okay? And she's taking a bath, and she sees a beautiful baby in a basket. And she looks at him and goes, well, he's cute, and takes him to the palace, and next thing you know, he's now growing up, and that's Moses. What happens if she doesn't do that? Or even, let me give you another one, the three magi, or we don't know if there are three of them. We, we base it off of their gifts, but the magi, who in the Christmas story follow a star, they're astrologers, and they follow a star all the way to the east, and they, they kind of detour Herod's plan to try to get baby Jesus. Or, or what about in the Bible when Jesus sends out 72 people, two by two, to go out and to share uh, the message of Jesus and to go heal people and, and, and uh, cast out demons? We don't know their names. We just know it's 72 of them. 
Or, or lastly, what about this one? Someone who becomes uh, uh, the figure of grace for a lot of us, and we only know him by his crime, the thief on the cross. He's hanging on a cross. He becomes a symbol of grace for all of us, but we know him as his crime. Yet he's unnamed. We know more about what he did wrong than we know about his name. Think about that. And as I started doing this, I was doing a devotion with my daughter a, a, a few years ago, and we were, we were looking at this story, and I thought about this story in the Bible, and I never really realized it because I always skipped over it. And there's another unnamed character I want to share with you today. Uh, we're going to be reading from 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, I want to talk to you about another unnamed person who made a remarkable, remarkable uh, impact on the life of a man named Naaman. This is 2 Kings chapter 5, and it says this. Now, Naaman was commander of the, of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, comma, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Iran had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served as Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Verse 4, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. And then we're going to skip down to verse 14. This is what verse 14 says. So he went down, this is being Naaman, he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored, and this is important, became clean like that of a young boy. Let me give you a recap of what just happened here. Second Kings is an interesting book because it talks about the capture and the captivity of the people of God. Due to a spiritual decay, there become social and political issues that, that cause them to get captured and taken captive. And then we get introduced to this man named Naaman. Naaman was, was, a, was a very valiant soldier. That means courageous. He was very bold. He was brave. He was a courageous soldier. He, he, was, he had a lot of military success. We know that he was a man of high character. In fact, we even know, we're able to tell based off the original language that he's a gentleman who would be considered very rich. So think about this for a moment. Naaman was the kind of guy that when, what he wore... Uh, he had all the badges of honor and all the, the medals of honor that he would wear. He was the kind of guy that as he walked down the street, people would bring their babies so that he could kiss them. People would want to take a selfie with him. They would want an Instagram story. This was Naaman. He had all the accolades. He was the man. And yet, despite all the things on the outside that were going well for him, all his uh, riches, all his success, his high character, in spite of all of that, there was something underneath him that he couldn't get rid of. In fact, the Bible says it like this. He was a valiant soldier, comma, but he had leprosy. And leprosy is a skin disease that debilitates you and, and it, it, it kind of eats you alive. And, and, and the reality is it's a painful disease. So in spite of all the pain he was feeling, he's literally continuing to pursue his purpose as a valiant soldier. Think about this for a moment. How hard it must have been to be considered brave and bold, but knowing that you're going through all this pain. Think about this. I love this because it's a picture of a lot of us. We come to church oftentimes putting on our best garments and trying to cover, cover up all the stains and all the hurts and all the things that we're going through. And the reality is underneath, there are things inside that you're hiding. I mean, you come up and you try to mask it by the, the best perfume or the greatest fragrance, and you don't realize that underneath, there's something going on that you can't cover up. This was the life of Naaman. Another sidebar about Naaman that's pretty interesting that I think is super important for us today as believers 
In one context, if Naaman would have been born in Israel, he would have literally been ostracized because of his skin disease. They would have said, hey, you have to stay outside of the camp. You can't even be with us. So he would have been ostracized in this environment. But in this environment where he grew up in Aram, he becomes a valiant soldier who is extremely successful, who is extremely high character, who, ha- who is extremely rich. In one area, he would have been ostracized. In another area, he's extremely successful. You know what that tells me? We have to be very careful as a church to judge people based off of what they're going through and what's going on underneath everything. We have to be very careful not to ostracize people by their problems. Because in one setting, if we ostracize people by their problems, listen, God does not love sin, but he absolutely loves the sinner. That's why we're here. That's why I'm here. Because he loves the sinner. And if we are not careful, we can push people away. Oh, he was in that relationship. She was in this kind of situation. They were in that situation. And we can push people away. We're in another environment, which this should be our environment. People are able to know God. And when they know God, they're able to find freedom. When they find freedom, they're able to discover their purpose. When they discover their purpose, they're able to make a difference. We have to be the type of church that allows people to know God. Because we know that when they know God, they can find freedom. That's the, the type of church we should be where people are thriving despite what they're going through. Where people are able to find their purpose to, despite their pain. And in one environment, he would have been ostracized. Another one, he finds success. That's Naaman. And then we get introduced to, very briefly, she's only in two verses. We kind of skim over her. We get introduced to this servant girl. A servant girl, we don't know her age, but she could have been a teenager. She could have been younger than that. She could have been a little bit older. We don't know, but the Bible makes it very clear that she was young. And what would happen is, what they would do is, they would do these predatory type raids where they would try to invoke fear on people by randomly going to another neighbor's town and grabbing people and taking them randomly, threatening their life, and then bringing them to become slaves. So she gets caught up in a predatory raid where someone busts down the door of her home, takes her out of her home, and brings, them, brings her into their environment to teach her their customs and to teach her their language and to get rid of everything that she knew. And now she becomes a slave in the very home of the man who is responsible for her being taken captive. Think about this. This young girl becomes a slave. I, I, I mean, just imagine, imagine. I have a five-year-old. I can't imagine someone busting into my home to grab my five-year-old and making her become a slave somewhere else. And this is, what, this is what we find. And when I look at her life, she plays a huge role. She seems like an extra, but she plays an extraordinary role in the life of Naaman. And I look at her life and I go, how is it possible? What can I do? What can I do with my life to be an extra that, that, that is the type of person that, despite getting pat on the back, despite maybe uh, grabbing a microphone or not having a microphone, no matter what it is, I, I may have the ability to become an extra that makes an impact on someone's life. And so today, I want to take you on a journey. I want to take you on a journey of looking at this young woman and looking at her qualifications and what she did or didn't do that made her an extra. So if you're taking notes, we're going we're gonna to talk through the three qualifications of being an extra based off the life of this young servant girl. Three qualifications of becoming an extra. And the first qualification is simply this. Don't let your placement stop your purpose. Do not let your placement stop your purpose. This young girl was misplaced, to say the least. Okay? She's not, my family and I voluntarily relocated from New York City to South Louisiana. 
I couldn't imagine someone stripping my kids away from me to now become slaves in an area that they're not accustomed to. She was misplaced. She, she wasn't in her comfort zone. She wasn't in a good environment. And despite being misplaced, she didn't allow that to stop her purpose. I grew up and in the mid-90s where music was actually really, really good uh, in the mid-90s. Right? Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard. There was a singer, a pop singer, R&B singer in the mid-90s. Her name was Toni Braxton. Anyone ever heard of the name Toni Braxton? For those that don't know, she sang this song that it haunted me when I was a kid because all the girls would sing it and it was super annoying. And she would go, unbreak my heart, say love me again. And it was super annoying. And I was just like, please stop. We don't want to hear you singing. Okay, we don't like that. And, and so Tony Braxton, an amazing singer, amazing pop singer. She's incredible. What's more incredible about Tony Braxton is not her career, but how she was discovered. In fact, Tony Braxton, it's known that she was at, at an Amoco station getting gas in Annapolis, Maryland. Okay, and she opens the door to her car. She, you, you know, she opens the door, beep, 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 because you know when you leave the key inside the car, it makes that little beep noise. Okay, some of you don't know that. Okay, yeah. and anywho, she opens up her gas tank. She unplugs it. She takes the gas nozzle. She plugs it in, and all of a sudden, goom, goom, goom. And while she's getting gas, she literally, she's like, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. I don't know if that's what she was singing, but I'm guessing that's what she was singing. But the story goes that she was literally singing while pumping her gas. Unbeknownst to her, right next to her was a famous record producer getting his gas filled up. And when he heard her, he goes, she's incredible. He offers her the opportunity to get a demo. That demo ends up becoming an album. That album ends up selling 63 mil over 63 million copies. That album ends up winning over six Grammys. You know why that happened? Because Toni Braxton did not allow her, allow her placement to stop her purpose. She knew she was purposed to sing. And she said, whether people hear me or not, I'm A, B, C, D. She was going to get this work. Listen, a lot of us are allowing where we are to stop what we do. And God is saying, it, it doesn't matter where you are. Well, well, I feel called to be on the worship team, but they put me on the parking team. Well, when you are holding the umbrella, you better, umbrella, Ella, eh, 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 welcome to OSE. You better sing for Jesus no matter where you are. Don't be mad because they haven't given you a mic. Hold that umbrella. Well, I, I, I'm called to preach and they put me in pro presenter. Well, when you back there, study the sermon. Listen to what Pastor Bubba is saying or Pastor Josh. Study the sermon. Listen, don't allow your placement to stop your purpose. Don't allow your place. In fact, last week I was speaking to a gentleman at our Midtown campus in Lafayette, and, and he was telling me his name is Chris, and he goes, he goes, Pastor Jovan, I've been in the I've been in the dirt field all my life. That's all I know is a dirt field. I've been in dirt field. I said, all right, cool. I don't even know what that is, but all right, brother, welcome to the dirt field. Okay, and and, and he begins to talk to me, and he goes, man, you know, I, I I just got saved a couple years ago. I'm really new to this 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 Jesus thing, and he goes, man, you know, a friend of mine texts me who knows I go to church. He texts me Saturday night, and he goes, man, I'm struggling. Can can we meet? So pastor, he goes, pastor, I met him at Buffalo Wild Wings, and I became a pastor right there. I started preaching to him. I'm telling him about Jesus. And he goes, man, in the middle of your message, pastor, I was taking pictures on Sunday. I'm taking pictures. I want to send it to him. And unbeknownst to him, his friend, because he pastored him at Buffalo Wild Wings, because he didn't allow his placement to stop his purpose, his friend actually came to church the next day. He didn't realize that they were sitting in the same service. And when I gave the altar call at the end, his friend lifted his hand and became a Christian that day. His friend found eternal life because, his, because brother Chris realized that his placement can't stop his purpose. 
too often we go, man, I'm, I, if you're in school, you go, I'm in the wrong class. I'm supposed to be in this class. I, you know, I'm supposed to be with these friends. Maybe it's the job. Maybe you go, oh, man, I just didn't find the right career. If I would have had this career, I would have been a better Christian. You know, if I would have been in this environment, if I would have gotten this job, if I would have gotten this marriage, don't hit your, don't hit your spouse. That's not nice. That's mean. If I would have been a part of this church or that church, oh, maybe I'm not in the right church. You know, they're not letting me sing. No, this is the right church. But maybe it's that you're allowing your placement to stop your purpose. Don't let where you are stop what you do. The first qualification, she did not allow where she was to stop what she was called to do. Don't allow your placement to stop your purpose. The second one is this. The second one is this. You have to forget your feelings. You have to forget your feelings. I love this. You know, yesterday, um, we had one of our associate pastors come over to the home, and he has four kids. We have three kids. So there was literally like a WWF Royal Rumble, okay? People were throwing chairs. There was tables, ladders, and chairs all in my house. It was insane. And kids are running around back and forth. And, 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 and one of, the, one of the, the two kids, one of them, they bumped into, bumped into my son, Benjamin. They just kind of bumped into each other, and Benjamin got really upset. And I said, Benjamin, forgive him and give him a hug. And Benjamin went, okay, and gave him a hug and, like, just hugged him. And then they walked away, and they were friends as if nothing ever happened. Don't you love kids' ability to forget their feelings? Yeah. They could be angry in a moment, and all of a sudden they'll forget that if they get, the, if they get a hug, if, they, if you embrace them the right way. As adults, we kind of lose that ability. So all the teenagers here, try to hold on to that because teenagers are the first ones to lose it, okay? And then it gets worse after there. So just hold on to the idea of forgetting your feelings. It's not about how you feel. Not, it doesn't really make a difference. I think about that because look at this young lady. This young lady gets stripped away from her home. She gets put into an environment where she doesn't know the language. She doesn't know the culture. She doesn't know the customs. And yet she finds herself in a situation where she's still being sweet and kind and pointing somebody back to where they could get their help. I mean, think about this. She was done very, very wrong. I mean, a predatory raid, that's, that's intrusive. That's harmful. And she could have sat there and went, I know where he get his healing, but I ain't telling him. Mm. Mm. He thinks mm. he could stay right there with his leprosy. I'm not telling him. No, no, but she didn't do that. She, she forgot her feelings. In fact, she points him back to where he could get his help. You know, before my wife and I uh, got on staff full-time at church, we were bivocational youth pastors, and I was actually... I was actually a teacher for the New York City Department of Education. I did my first master's degree in students with disabilities. I was a special education teacher. And then I got a second master's degree in counseling. And so I know what it's like to be a teacher and to prepare all night. I know what it's like to prepare all night and to work on these amazing lesson plans so these kids can, like, learn something. And then when you're in the middle of teaching, they fall asleep. I know what that feels like. I used to actually take chalk. No, I used to want to take chalk and throw it at them, but I didn't, okay? Don't. But it's interesting. As I think about my own teaching career, there's a gentleman named Edward Kimball. And Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in the late 1800s. Maybe you don't know him. Edward Kimball, he made it his mission. He goes, I want to ensure that everyone who sits in my class knows God. They're going to know God. And he, he just lived like that. And, and, and he was teaching one, uh, one Sunday, and he realized that this one kid kept on falling asleep in his class, and he wasn't really getting what he was saying. And so Edward Kimball made it his business and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to go to the kid's job. 
Okay, I'm going to go witness to him. I'm going to preach to him right there in the job. And he goes to his job. And in the stock room of this store that the kid worked at, the kid gets saved and gives his heart to Jesus. And the guy's name is actually D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody was one, known as one of the greatest evangelists uh, of all time. And, and, and D.L. Moody begins to travel and tell people about Jesus. And he ends up in Liverpool, right across the sea in Liverpool. And he's preaching there. And there's a gentleman sitting in the service named Wilbur Chapman. And Wilbur Chapman was, stress, was struggling and wrestling with his faith. He, he had some questions about his faith. And as a result, uh, D.L. Moody's able to witness to Wilbur Chapman and help him walk through those questions. So Wilbur Chapman gets saved. The next thing you know, he becomes an evangelist. And he starts traveling and telling people about Jesus. And he runs into a professional baseball player named Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday was this incredible, literal professional baseball. He got paid to play baseball, leaves his profession as a baseball player to go tell people about Jesus and becomes an evangelist. And Billy Sunday's traveling and connects with a gentleman named Mordecai Ham. And he says, he says to Mordecai Ham, hey, I want you to come down to North Carolina. I want you to come and do a crusade down in North Carolina. So Mordecai Ham comes down to North Carolina and he begins to preach and he begins to share the love of Jesus. And there's a gentleman sitting in the audience named Billy Frank. And Billy Frank had made it his business to go, man, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and just watch this crusade thing. I don't want to really, I don't want nothing with Jesus. I don't have anything to do with that. He sits there the first service, enjoys it, comes back the second service. And then on the third service, comes up to the altar and gives his life to Jesus. His family knew him as Billy Frank, but we would affectionately know him as Billy Graham. Billy Graham, the, the, the most famous evangelist of our time who reached millions of, upon millions of people, Literally was able to do that because a guy named Mordecai Ham was invited to North Carolina. Mordecai Ham doesn't get invited to North Carolina if Billy Sunday doesn't invite him. Billy Sunday can't invite him if Billy Sunday doesn't have a relationship and get saved through Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman is unable to even talk to him about Jesus because he was wrestling with his own things and wouldn't be able to get past that if D.L. Moody never got to him. D.L. Moody would never be able to get to Wilbur Chapman if a man named Edward Kimball, who was his Sunday school teacher, would have been upset that he was falling asleep in his class. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to push past your feelings. When you push past your feelings, there's something that God wants you to do. And a lot of us do this. A lot of us hold on to an offense so long. We don't even realize what's going on. We hold on to the offense. And when you hold on to an offense, you build a fence that blocks you from seeing what God wants you to do. Holding on to a fence is literally building a fence that blocks you from seeing what God wants you to do. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to forget your feelings. You have to forget your feelings. You know, when I grew up, uh, we didn't get a chance to take a lot of vacations. Um, and I, I, I had never really been on an airplane until I was, uh, I was much older. And so I always kind of made it a, a, a vision of mine. I said, man, I want to ensure that... Um, when I get older and I get married, I want my kids to be able to go on a plane. Like that's, it was a big deal for me. I just want my kids to go on an airplane. I want to take them on a vacation. And last year, we had, I had the privilege of preaching in Atlanta. And so we made a vacation out of it. We brought our kids. It was amazing. And, and listen, I didn't want to be, we didn't want to be those parents that, you know, you're on the runway and the kids are already, ah! like we didn't want that. Okay. And so my wife had a whole schedule mapped out from this time to this time they were going to color. Okay, from this time to this time, they'll have snack. Then from this time to this time, they'll do a puzzle. Then we'll go back to snack because how many know snacks are the gateway to keep kids quiet, okay, right? And then you'll go, right, he's waving. He's like, that's me. You keep me quiet if you give me a snack. 
and so and so we had this whole thing mapped out, and, and we're Puerto Rican. Uh, my wife and I were both Puerto Rican, and so uh, we say papi. Like, the kids call me papi. That means dad. It's a term of endearment. And so when we got 45 minutes into the air, my daughter looks at me, Charlotte, and she goes, papi, papi, the, the, the plane is not really going fast. And I stopped and I chuckled. I chuckled a little bit. I thought to myself, man, what Charlotte doesn't realize is that the plane is actually 40,000 feet in the air. She also doesn't realize that the plane is probably going about 500 miles per hour. And she doesn't realize this because something called air cabin pressure, which allows a plane to be stabilized so you're not reading a book and the book hits you in the face every time there's a bump or you bump into a cloud. She doesn't realize those things. And as I begin to ponder on this, this leads me to my last point of becoming an extra. And it's simply this. Do not let your external problems disturb your internal peace. Don't let your external problems disturb your internal peace. This young girl in the story had every right to be fearful for her life. I mean, she could have lost her life at any moment. At any moment, she could have told Naaman, hey, this is where you get your healing. Naaman could have taken the long trek all the way down to get his healing and then not gotten his healing and then come back and kill her. Like literally, ladies and gentlemen, you have to understand, she was, there was a whirlwind of things going on. And yet, she had the ability and the peace to go, hey, I know where you can get your healing. It, it, it wasn't even like, like, we don't even see it as a hesitation. We don't see her like pump faking and kind of going, uh, may, maybe, you, maybe, no. She literally goes, if only my master, there was a confidence, there was a peace that overcame her. If only my master would go to the prophet in Samaria, he would find his healing. And how many of us are truly, being honest, listen, I'm not trying to nullify your feelings, but how many of us are truly, truly allowing what's happening outside of us to affect us internally? Uh, to the place where we're like, things are going bad, things are so bad outside of us, I don't even want to come to church. Which is like, that's like the opposite of what you do. It's like the opposite. Even when I think of that, I think of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, ladies and gentlemen, you talk about a man who didn't allow his placement to stop his purpose and a man who didn't allow the external problems to affect his internal peace. The Apostle Paul literally was in prison for some of the greatest messages that we read today in the Bible. And prisons in, in that day, they weren't like three hots in a cot, okay? They, 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 they were dark. They were extremely dark. Extremely dark, like very minimal visibility, there was no sanitary responsibility, so the men would literally use the restroom right there. It was smelly. They were chained to one another. The chains were thick and extremely heavy. They were also very rusted. There was nobody, uh, they didn't come and bring you a food every few hour, a, a meal every few hours. You only got food if someone came to bring you food. So think about this. Having some of the worst situations happen around him being in a prison, he's able to write things like, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He, he's able to write things like, put on the full armor of God. He's able to pen things like, I can do all things through Christ who give me strength. How are you able to have the peace of God and write such amazing things like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength when you're going through a prison? Think about that. And a lot of us, we're allowing the things that are happening around us to affect the peace that God's trying to give to us. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's trying to give you peace in the midst of your storm. You know, this just hit me just now, but I was thinking about it. 
One of the greatest storms known in the Bible is when, when, when the disciples are on the boat. It happens two times. The disciples are on a boat, and they get in the middle of the storm. One time, Jesus is sleeping, but the other time, they get sent off into the boat by Jesus. And in the middle of their obedience, they weren't disobedient. They didn't cause a problem. Jesus said, get on a boat and go. You know what they do? They got on the boat and they went. And in the middle of them being obedient, they hit a storm. You know what that tells me? That you are being, some of you are being obedient to Christ and you feel like bad things are happening. You go, okay, forget it. I won't go back to church. I, I won't take my next step. Okay, I'll, I'll leave the worship team. I won't join the youth ministry. And the reality is your obedience is not a, it's not a byproduct of, of the outcome. You're, you're, you're upset because you feel like, oh man, I was obedient. So, so now I'm being punished for my obedience. And God doesn't work like that. He wants you to have a peace inside of you so that no matter what's happening outside, you can trust his plan. You can trust his plan. You know, I, I think about this woman that I speak to pretty frequently. And, you know, when she was born, she was born into a home where her father immediately left. She never saw her dad, never met him one time. And she was raised in a home where her mom was a, was a very sweet lady, but into a very promiscuous lifestyle and, and kind of did some things uh, in the party lifestyle and so on and so forth. And her mom ends up uh, dying when she was 15 years old. So now she's 15 years old and has to raise herself. And then when she's 16 years old, gets involved in a relationship, and as a result of that relationship, finds herself pregnant. So now she's a kid having a kid. And then has a kid and, and trying to figure it out and reconnects with her childhood sweetheart, who she met him at Coney Island, reconnects with him. They get married, and they have two more children. And they get ready to have kids. And, and the reality is this. Let me, let me say this to you. The, the, the man that she was, her, high, her childhood sweetheart, who she reconnected with, he was, like, addicted to drugs. So, like, you know, he's, he's doing his thing. And, but, but, you know, they're happily married. They love each other. And they have kids. And then sin crept in. And when sin got in, he ends up cheating on her, uh, has an extramarital affair. And as a result, he moves on, steps away from the home. So now she's left. Her oldest son had moved away, and now she's left with two boys to raise two boys by herself. She's trying to figure out how does she become a mom? How does she become a dad? Remember, she was a kid. She never saw her mom. She wasn't able to see her mom model certain things. She wasn't able to see her dad model certain things. And now she's a kid raising a kid. And next thing you know, uh, while she's going through all this despair and all this hopelessness, she's in a laundromat in New York City inside of a building and, and an apartment, a co apartment complex. And a woman sees her crying as she's doing her laundry because she's just going through so much. And sees her crying uh, and, and tells her, man, I don't really have an answer to your problem, but I know where you can get your answer. And she points her back to church. She points her back to a place where she can find a, a safe space. And she gets to church and gets saved. And now she starts coming to church and she becomes a greeter. And she starts waving at people as they're coming in. She starts, whenever the church doors are open, she's there. She's learning how to pray. She begins to pray over her children. She begins to pray over her marriage and prays that her husband will come back home. She brings her kids to church. They get involved in church. They're a part of the Christmas shows. Things are going amazing. And do you know that 10 years later... 10 years through praying and praying and praying and praying. Do you know that 10 years later, after it was all said and done, the husband gets on a, a bus to go to a men's retreat and gets on the bus and experiences the presence of God and gets saved on the bus. Then he goes and, and reunites with his wife and they get reunited. They renew their vows. They get back together. And it's an amazing love story. 
What's even crazy about that, one step further, is that 25 years later, I'm standing on a stage in Jennings, Louisiana, because someone went to my mother and preached to her at her lowest point. And while she was in a laundromat, and while she felt like she couldn't have hope, but she didn't have hope, someone preached to her. And I'm here sharing hope because someone went to my mother who thought she couldn't have hope. And, and that, that, is, that story is amazing, but what impressed me about the story even more was this. The woman who shared Jesus with my mother was going through a divorce. She ends up going through a divorce, ends up becoming a single mom. And unlike my mom, her husband never comes back. You know what that tells me? That no matter what you're facing, there is a purpose for you. There is a plan for you. God has a plan for your life to share with somebody else the goodness and what he's done for you. You know the two ways we overcome? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of the lamb is God's job. The word of your testimony is your job. All you have to do is tell people, there's a peace inside of me now because of what Jesus has done. And the musicians could come up. We're going to get ready to close here in just a moment. And I think about this young servant girl who, who didn't allow her placement to stop her purpose. She's a, a young servant girl who forgot her feelings, that in spite of all that was going on, she forgot her feelings and really pushed past and, and was able to point this man to his healing. And then even cooler, she didn't allow all that was going on around her to affect what was happening inside of her. And as I think about that servant girl, I think about another servant Another servant who came, a servant who was misplaced but didn't lose his purpose, a servant who was ridiculed, mocked, laughed at, teased, but he never got in his feelings. He never allowed it to affect him. Another servant who had all these things happening around him and outside of him but didn't allow the peace that God had given him to complete his purpose to stop. In fact, it's a servant who was wronged and things were done to him wrong and people made fun of him. And in the midst of being wrong, was able to point people back to where they could get their healing. And that's the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the servant I'm talking about is Jesus. Jesus Christ. You know what's interesting about Jesus? I'm not sure if you know this. But the Bible tells us that in the garden of Gethsemane, he begins to pray. Seemingly looking almost for a way out. Like, God, is there another way? And this is a lot. And the Bible tells us that as he's praying that prayer, that uh, he begins to perspire blood. That, that happens when your organs begin to shut down uh, because of acute, uh, acute fear. A lot of fear, a lot of pressure, a lot of stress get put on you. And when the stress, pressure, and fear is so high, your organs could begin to shut down and your blood vessels could begin to pop. So he literally begins to perspire blood. Shortly after that prayer moment, he bumps into a friend of his who then betrays him to be arrested. Can you imagine how that feels? Have you ever been betrayed before? Maybe it was by a spouse. Maybe it was by a parent. Maybe it was by a loved one. Can you imagine the pain of being betrayed? So he feels all this pressure. He starts sweating blood. And then the next thing you know, he gets betrayed. And, and when he got betrayed and got arrested, the Bible tells us that he was beaten. And it's interesting because when he was beaten, if I were to get punched in the face right now, because I would be able to see which way the punch was coming, I would be able to move my face in a direction that would allow me to go with the blow. That would minimize damage to my face. I would still get damaged, but it wouldn't be as bad. The Bible tells us that he was blindfolded. 
And because he was blindfolded, he couldn't see which way the punches were coming. So as they punched him in his face, as they punched him in his face, he couldn't see it. And they're pulling his beard and he couldn't see it. And they're pulling his beard and they're punching him in the face. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 55 that he was beaten beyond recognition. He was beaten to a place where his own parents didn't recognize what he looked like. Think about this. Beaten beyond recognition. Then after he gets beaten beyond recognition and people can't even recognize what he looks like, the Bible tells us that he was flogged. Flogged was a form of whipping where they would put little metal pieces and glass pieces on the tip of a whip and they would begin to whip his back. And as they whipped his back, it would rip his back apart. And now the Romans did studies on this. So they knew this. They knew that if you were to flog someone 40 times, they would die. Their body couldn't handle it. So they literally flogged Jesus 39 times. So after already feeling pressure to the point of perspiring blood, after already being betrayed, after already being arrested and then beaten beyond recognition, he then gets flogged 39 times. And after getting flogged, the Bible tells us that he had to carry a cross that weighed anywhere between 75 to 125 pounds and had to travel many yards. And he's carrying this thing to the point where he couldn't even do it up a hill. Someone had to come alongside him and help him. And, then, and to make matters worse, he gets nailed to a cross. And you think a lowercase t when we think of a cross, but it was actually an uppercase t. They, the Romans did this as a form of torture, so it would prevent, uh, there was no headrest for you. There was no headrest. It was a little bit uncomfortable. And then all your weight went on top of your upper body. So after taking a beating, after being betrayed, after being, uh, feeling the pressure inside of a garden, after being arrested, after being flogged, after carrying a cross that weighed more than most children, he then has to get on a cross. And you know why he did that? pretty simple. He did it because he loves you. Period. He loves you. For some of you, some of you are here right now and you, you, you've been holding on to so much guilt because of mistakes you made. He loves you. You don't have to earn his love. You don't have to serve more to get his love back. You don't have to try to read your Bible as fast and as much as you can in order to get him to love you. There's nothing you could do to get him to love you more or love you less than he already does right now. Nothing. Nothing. In fact, I want to tell it to you like this. Imagine that you are an island and God is another island. And the thing that separates the two islands is water. Let's say that the thing that separated us was sin. And so religion is this. Religion is the ability to look over and see God but not be able to commune with him. You have to go through a middleman. You have to go through someone else. And that's what ended up happening. Sin separated us. Sin came in and, and it separated the islands. It separated us from God. So the very reason we were intended to be born, the very reason we're created is to have fellowship and communion with God. And the things happen in our life because of sin, because they separated us from God. We weren't born to live in this kind of society that we live in now. We weren't. We were born to have fellowship with our Father. But sin got in the way and separated us. And don't miss this because this is an important moment. And it's going to be so easy for some of us to be distracted in this moment. I want you to listen to this. When Jesus died on the cross, when he took the death that a sinner should have taken, when he took the death that a criminal should have taken, and he hung on the cross, he created a bridge so that now you can have access to your father. 
He created a bridge so that you can walk from one side of the island and you can freely walk over to the other side and have fellowship because that's what you were created to do. Have fellowship with God. And I'm going to ask everyone out of respect to close your eyes in this moment and bow your head. I want to I offer someone an opportunity to experience and have access to this freedom. Out of respect, we ask you to, we ask you to close your eyes in, in this moment because it's so much easier to get distracted in these moments. So if you close your eyes and bow your head, what it simply does is allow you to focus on the words and not what's mo the movement that's happening around you. If you would be honest today and go, man, Pastor Jovan, I never thought of it like that. I never heard that before. And, and you go, man, well, what's next for me? You know, Nicodemus, who's a man in the Bible in John chapter 3, was talking to Jesus and he goes, how can I inherit the kingdom? In other words, how can I get this access? How can I get to the other side? What, what must I do? And Jesus says, you must be born again. Being born again is not, it's not a, it's not this program. I mean, listen, you, you, can, you can't go to a program. You can't go to a plan. You can't, a priest or a pastor, none of them could do it for you. The only way you can get access is through being born again. And you may go, Pastor Jovan, what is being born again? What does that even mean? Well, I want to say it to you. It's as simple as this. It's as simple and as easy as ABC. A, the Bible tells us that there is no one righteous. No, not, not one. A, you have to admit that you are a sinner. Admit. Just be honest. Just say, hey, hey, listen, I've messed up. We've all messed up, including me. Starting with me. But you have to admit that. You have to go, man, I, I've made a lot of mistakes. B, you have to believe in Jesus. The Bible says this in the same conversation that Jesus is having with that man, Nicodemus. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. You have to believe in him. And see, it's so simple. It's confess. The Bible says that if you confess in your, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe with your heart that God, rose, that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Being born again is as easy as ABC. It's not about the work that you're going to do. It's about the work that he's already done for you. And if you're here to, today and you'd be honest and go, Pastor Jovan, that, that's me. I, I need to be born again. I want, I, want to have, I want to have eternal life. If you're here today without anyone looking around, with every eye closed, would you lift your hand? I want to pray with you. Amen. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. You may put your hands down. 15, 16, I see that hand. If you're here today and you'd be honest and go, Pastor Jovan, I don't want to have another moment missed, man. I didn't raise my hand the first time, but if that's you and you really want to be born again in this moment, would you lift your hands? 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, I see that hand in the back. Praise God. 24, you may put your hands down. 24, praise God. I'm going to pray a prayer in this moment. I'm going to ask all of us to, to say this prayer together. There's nothing magical about this prayer, but this is just a declaration of you confessing that Jesus is Lord. Would you repeat this prayer after me? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you face hell, so I would not have to. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you bore it on the cross. I believe that you have a plan for me and a purpose on earth and a place in heaven.
and now I can have a relationship with my Father. Today I turn away from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.